The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I, I have been asked several times this morning a question that I really can't answer. And it's a question that you've probably been asked before, probably today. I generally never have a good answer for this. And it's a simple question, which is just, how are you doing? Like I never have the first clue about how I'm actually doing, how I'm actually feeling. My life, I just move too fast, I don't pay enough attention. And the reality is that this month, the month of May, has been the busiest month of my entire life. So for, for a lot of reasons, like I've been to Puerto Rico and to Malibu, um, I'm getting ready to teach an Enneagram course this summer online and that's taking a b- bunch of work. Um, I had a book release two weeks ago and that's taken up more time than I ever thought. We have had all sorts of parties at our house and people being in town and yesterday, My daughter graduated high school. I I know that was for me because I paid for it. And so the, the reality is like, I don't have the first clue about how I feel and what I'm doing. And so yesterday I realized, as we were sitting out in the near record heat um, at this graduation, that I have been so incredibly grateful to God for our children. But Rochelle and I, if you've been around Ecclesia for a while, you've probably heard me tell the story. We were told before we got married that we would likely never have children. So having Malia and then three years later having our second daughter, Kate, like that has just been a miracle for us and it's something we've always treasured. But before the girls were born, Rochelle and I made a deal. We had an agreement that we were going to let Malia be Malia and Kate be Kate. That we were gonna try and force them or mold them to be like one or the other of us or have to be like their sister just to give them their own life area to play in, to be whoever it is that God made them to be. And so as part of that process, we have always, within reason, allowed them to choose which school they wanted to go to. And so when they were younger, they chose this classical school because they really liked reading and they got to learn Latin. That was kind of a thing that they wanted to do. I don't know why. They can only talk to each other. (laughs) And so when Malia was in eighth grade, it was time to start looking around for schools. And so we went to public school forums and charter school forums and private school forums. And then we started visiting around. And so she looked for several schools, and then she stumbled into the school where she just graduated, which is St. Agnes Academy. And I wasn't there, her mom had taken her, and they both came back and said like, when Malia walked into St. Agnes, she just lit up, said this is where I wanna be. Now if you're from Houston, If you've been around for a while, you know St. Agnes Academy, it's out on the southwest side, is a private, all-girls Catholic school. And on the other side of the parking lot is the boys' Catholic school, Strake Jesuit. And so 
we went through all the paperwork. We did everything we needed to do to get her into school. And so she was going to go to St. Agnes. And I started thinking, who is St. Agnes? I had no idea who this was. And that's really important for me to know and for you to know, because the reality is in life, like what you focus on determines what you miss. So I went to college and I went to seminary, I have like $100,000 worth of theological education. And all of my professors in that time, all of my religious studies professors were men. But then when I looked at the actual texture of my life, I realized I'd read a lot of men, I could quote a lot of men, but the people who had been most spiritually formative for me, who taught me things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the people who modeled those things to me were all women. They were my grandmother and my mom and Sunday school teachers and leaders when I was in youth group. It was people like my wife who challenged me in so many incredible ways and now my daughters. And so it's important to make sure that as we are growing and developing, that we are hearing the full witness of the church and of church history, and all of the things they have to teach us, all of the things these courageous, bold, magnificent, persecuted women teach us. And so I want to share with you what I learned about St. Agnes. But you need to know before that, that her story is a hard and tragic one. And, and that's why a little while ago, Alexandra, when she was up here, said that it, normally if you keep your kids in, this might be the Sunday to send them to their spaces. Because this is a traumatic story. And it's not just traumatic for Agnes. It's traumatic for many of us because our story isn't all that different from her story. And as you hear it, if it's part of your story, and particularly a traumatic part of your story, like I want to help you to remain present. And all of those things that you have probably worked through with a spiritual director or with a therapist, just to be able to name five things that you can see four things that you can hear, three things you can smell, two things you can taste, one thing that you can touch to keep your feet flat on the floor, to remember your four, seven, and eight breathing techniques to keep you in the present. Because our goal is not to re-traumatize you, but to be a place of healing Because the truth of your life is, it's much more painful 
than you're willing to tell everyone, and you're carrying much more with you than you're willing to share with everyone. And at Ecclesia, we just refuse to be a place that doesn't name the reality of how life is. But in doing so, to help you take steps toward healing. And so if God brings something up for you, we have pastors here on staff who are absolutely fabulous people. And we have a list of counselors in the Houston area that we know and that we trust a lot who would be willing to walk with you. Because you might have a story just like Agnes's. St. Agnes, Agnes of Rome, was born in the 300s. And the problem for Agnes is that she was born during the Diocletian persecution. So here's what happened. In ancient Rome, in the 300s, Rome had fallen apart into great deep disarray. And there was a new Caesar named Diocletian. And as Diocletian comes to power in Rome, he has an incredible gift. He's an incredible organizer, strategizer, administrator. And so he starts pulling Rome back together. So even um, in a place like ancient Rome, things just like getting the trash picked up, getting people educated become huge deals. And it's an incredibly large empire. And you just can't pick up the phone or get online and do things. It takes someone who actually knows how to organize. And that's what he does. He is restoring the power of Rome. But he thinks part of restoring the greatness of Rome and the reason that it fell apart was that people had stopped worshiping the gods. And so if you had been alive in the 300s in Rome, people who followed Jesus, they weren't called Christians by the Roman government, they were actually called atheist. And that's because if you were a Christian in the 300s, you didn't believe in all the gods. You just believed in one God. And that made you an atheist. And so Diocletian decides that what he actually needs to do is persecute all of the Christians so people will start believing in all the gods. We can restore the greatness of Rome. And then there are people like Agnes. In the Diocletian persecution, somewhere between 3,000 and 3,500 Christians were killed. And Agnes was born in a wealthy family in her province. And that came with certain expectations. And part of those expectations were that you would marry well and that you were available to get married. So when Agnes is 13 years old, she decides that she is going to dedicate her life to God and only God. Well, you guys have seen those movies where a young, wealthy woman, aristocratic family, kind of has like a coming out ball, a debutante ball, where all of the eligible men kind of show up and they get to meet her and like she's in season or whatever that means. And they get to, she gets to kind of choose who she wants to court her and all of that. And this was the expectation. And she, because she's a member of a wealthy family, was very desirable. And I know for us, 13 sounds a little young, and it should, but it didn't sound that young then. But instead of doing that, 
Agnes decides that her life is dedicated wholly and completely to God and that she will not marry. Well, the young men in her precinct decides that's unacceptable. So led by the local, the local prefect's son, they charge to her house, strip Agnes, and march her through the streets to jail. Not only did they arrest her and throw her in jail, they decided that since she would not marry, that they could violate her any way that she wanted, any way they wanted. And the story that the church tells is that as this was attempted, Agnes was miraculously covered from head to toe with hair. And that the young men who were trying to violate her, that they were killed in the process. Well, one of those young men was the prefect's son, so he decides to stop all of this. He's lost his son. He sends Agnes to another precinct to be judged by someone else. That judge also decides to put Agnes to death. So they tie her to a stake and try to set her on fire. And the church, the story, to, the story the church tells is that as the wood was burning, the wood burned up, but Agnes did not. And in one movement, a guard unsheathed his sword and cut off her head. And that is the story of Agnes of Rome, 13 years old. And she is the patron saint of virgins and young women. So when my daughters decided that they wanted to go to this school, that's when I started looking into St. Agnes. And now that my oldest has graduated, like she's walked the stage, I was taken back to those early days four years ago, and I was thinking about St. Agnes, and why is there a school named for Agnes? And what would I want them to learn what would I want them to know about her life and what it could teach them, how it could be instructive, how it could inspire them, and what would I want you to know about her life? And thinking back over these last several weeks as we've been marching toward graduation, there are a few things about Agnes's life that I think are really important. And I think one of the things we learn is that good things are not ultimate things. There are a lot of good things in life. Agnes chose not to marry. And I did, and many of you did. And I have been married to my wife for almost 25 years. And in those 25 years, we've probably had 25 bad days in those 25 years. It has been incredibly good for us. It has been a gift for us. And as good as it's been, it's not an ultimate thing. It's a good thing. And what happens to so many of us is that we spend so much of our time and energy chasing good things as if they were ultimate things. 
It's like things will finally be right when I'm in the right relationship or when I have the right job, if I can make a lot of money, if I can go on this great vacation. We spend time chasing accomplishment and status. Oftentimes, they are very good things, but they are not ultimate things. Our children are very good things. They are not ultimate things. Jesus was asked about this in Mark 12. And this is a story that Mark says. Mark says, one of the scribes who studied and copied the Hebrew scriptures overheard this conversation and was impressed by the way Jesus had answered. Tell me, teacher, what is the most important thing that God commands in the law? The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the eternal one is our God and the eternal one is the only God. You should love the eternal, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second great commandment is this. Love others in the same way you love yourself. There are no commandments more important than these. Ultimate things. And it turns out that when we focus on ultimate things, everything else falls into place. So this last week, I was asked to come and teach for this nationally recognized Christian organization. They wanted me to teach for an hour on biblical masculinity. And one of the questions they wanted me to answer was what is biblical masculinity? And so as we're working through the interview session after the teaching, they asked me to define what I thought biblical masculinity is. And I will tell you what I told them. I said, I have no idea. <laughs> because it sounds like the kind of thing where I have an idea of what masculinity is and then I try to make it biblical. And I can't imagine that if you were to center your life on Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and becoming a kind of person who fully inhabited the fruit of the Spirit. I can't imagine if you did that with your time and energy that the rest of it wouldn't take care of itself. I said, if you wanna talk about biblical masculinity, I said, we need to ask our gentlemen to be gentle men because it's a fruit of the Spirit. When you focus on the top level, 30,000 foot things. All of the other things take care of themselves. And that's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul. Because when you have done that, the other things that are good things become even better. I think we also learn that it's always right. It's always the right time to do what's right. Agnes was 13. And she had decided at 13 to give her entire life to God, even though it cost her greatly. And what you need to know, Ecclesia, is that there's never gonna be a better time. I know we tell ourselves, 
Like when we get through this season, when we get done with school, when we have a new job, when we finally get married, when the kids come, that we're gonna find time to do and be and become and all of that. I have been telling people that I will have more space and more margin in my life next week for the past four years. You will never find another time to be generous, to be kind, to be sacrificial. It's always the right time to do right. And if she can do it at 13, what would keep you from doing what's right? And then I think we learn that God sees your pain. And that's what makes us a hard story to tell. That God actually sees your pain. And more than that, that God sees your pain in this kind of pain. Because not only is St. Agnes the patron saint of virgins and young women, she is also the patron saint of sexual abuse survivors. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to my friend Jonathan. He pastors a church in Arkansas. And we were talking just a lot of things going on in both of our lives, and he says, Sean, did I ever tell you about my grandmother? I was like, no, we don't really talk about grandmas all that much. And he said, my grandmother went to church every Sunday for her entire adult life. And you know what she did before she left? She would put on makeup to cover up the scars and the bruises from where my grandfather abused her. And as she got older in life, she shared with him that she really started to believe that she was a bad wife or that she had done something wrong because she went to church for all of those years and no one said anything about it. That no one said, we see you and what's happening to you is wrong. And you don't have to be a young woman because abuse happens to men and boys to know that this is wrong. And if that's your circumstance, that's your situation, that's what you have been walking through, you need to know that what happened to you is wrong. You don't have to believe that as this was happening to Agnes, that she was miraculously covered from head to toe with hair. But there's a reason why the church for thousands of years 
has told this story. Because the church wants you to know. And your sisters and brothers who came before you want you to know that this is wrong. There's a story in John 8 that you have probably heard where the religious leaders bring to Jesus a woman who has been caught in adultery. And they're bringing her to him because they've basically set a trap. And they are abusing this woman to set a trap for Jesus. And Jesus kneels down in the sand and he starts writing and he says, whoever here without sin can cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and they leave. And Jesus asks the woman to look up to see who condemns you. And she says, no one. And Jesus tells her, neither do I. I don't know a single person in the world who doesn't have a story of abuse in their family. And maybe it was them. And what the church and the scriptures have been telling you this whole time because it feels like you did something wrong, is that Jesus does not condemn you. Not only that, Jesus is on the side of survivors. That rather than condemning you, our Lord sits with you. And Ecclesia, that's partially why we are the way that we are. That's why we have a referral list of counselors who can help you. That's why we offer spiritual direction. That's why we have teams in Poland. I was talking to my friend Christine Kane a couple of weeks ago when we were in Malibu together, and she runs a large worldwide organization, and they were working in Poland, and almost all of their work as women and girls flee from Ukraine is around sex trafficking. Because God sees your pain. And God is with you in it. And Jesus comes here to help you redeem the rest of your time. That he offers his own pain in the hope of your redemption. And you are not condemned. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.